You are listening to the Canadian Bar Association National Magazine. Hi, I'm your host, Yves Figui, and the editor-in-chief of CBA National Magazine. This episode of After the Pandemic is presented by Lawyers Financial. Get expert advice and quality insurance and investments with Lawyers Financial. And because they're not-for-profit, you get exceptional value. Get started at lawyersfinancial.ca. Welcome to After the Pandemic, where we discuss emerging issues in law in a world transformed. It is my privilege today to have as our guest the Right Honourable Richard Wagner, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. He has kindly agreed to an interview with CBA National to discuss the work of the Supreme Court during what can only be described as a very unusual period. Welcome to the program, Chief Justice Wagner. Thank you very much, Mr. Feggy. Nice to be here. So tell us, do Supreme Court justices get cabin fever during pandemic lockdowns like the rest of us? Uh, we're all like the other citizens of this country. <laughs> we, um, we try to manage and we try to, since the month of March of 2020, we try to adapt to this new uh, crisis. And uh, I can tell you about a, a little bit more about what's happening at the Supreme Court. Uh, essentially, uh, as, you may, uh, as you may know, already know, uh, the court uh, closed the building. The building was closed since the month of March 2020. And, and um, the pandemic has fundamentally changed our society and the way uh, we interact with each other. And uh, so we had to adapt. And um, I must tell you that I was very much impressed with the way generally the, uh, the judiciary reacted to this crisis. Uh, I noticed that the judiciary turned around quickly. They used technology as soon as possible and as much as they could in order to uh, release uh, decisions, to allow access to justice, and, and, and to make sure that the most urgent matters would be, uh, would be covered. And uh, so I, I must say that I am very proud of what the judiciary did during the last year throughout the, pro- throughout the country in each provinces. And so insofar as here at the Supreme Court of Canada, of course, as, as I mentioned to you, we, we closed the building to the public, but, and, we, and we postponed all the cases for the month of March, April, and May. And uh, we, uh, we held our first hearings in the month of June, uh, end of June, and uh, it was all uh, remotely uh done uh everybody was was on their computer uh the attorneys were at home or at their office and the judges were in their offices and it went very well without any any problems um and then uh, during the fall we uh, we had uh, hearings but in presence the attorneys were present in court the judges were present also in court but the uh, the, the the courtroom was was uh, rearranged we installed plexiglass between the seats. We installed two rows of judges, one uh, in, uh, at the bottom and the other one uh, up up there, and uh, so that we would follow the guidelines of the uh, health and safety. And uh, so it went very well also. But when uh, the crisis in- increased again uh, during the uh, during winter time, uh, we continued to have hearings, lawyers, in video remotely, 
and the judges in presence uh, in court. So far, so good. We don't have any backlogs, but uh, you have to realize that uh, contrary to the uh, trial division, the trial courts, of course, uh, the appeal courts, we don't we don't hear witnesses. We don't uh, we don't we don't manage the the evidence. We only hear uh, counsel's uh, arguments. So it's much easier uh, to do uh, remote hearings. The real challenge is, uh, is really with the trial courts. But what's been most challenging for you as the uh, presiding judge of the Supreme Court of Canada? Well, I, I think it was to make sure that uh, safety was, uh, was covered for everybody. In other words, uh, you know, we have more or less 250 uh, employees, the staff at the court, uh, the nine judges. And so I had to make sure on a daily basis that we would adopt the most recent guidelines in terms of safety. And we rearranged the court accordingly. So that was my, my biggest concern. And uh, with the help of my, my staff, of the court staff, we were able to do it. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy to report today that uh, there, was, there was not one single case of, of, uh, of uh, illness amongst all our uh, staff and, and judges. That, that's great to hear. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, it, it, does it complicate your life uh, and, and, the, and that of your colleagues uh, to, to deliberate over, over cases? Um, or or is, this, is this done uh, smoothly enough uh, virtually? It depends what, what, you, what you can describe as, as complicated. Because, of course, we have to, we have to adapt. In other words, um, in, during the, the, the month of June and uh, the month of January and February, of course, we, uh, our deliberations were, were made, were done remotely. In other words, we were not in the same room. So on, on the computer, uh, we could discuss uh, with, with the proper platform. But the discussion, of course, is different than the one you will have in, in, a, in a single room. And, uh, but it went very well, and it, it, it is going very well. So uh, in terms of, uh, of changes, of course, it's a bit more complicated because you have to go back to your office, you have to make sure that the platform works and, uh, and, and, and that type of things. But it's, uh, it's going very smoothly and efficiently. And one good point out of this terrible crisis is, uh, for instance, for the application for leave to appeal, you know that we have more or less 400 to 600 applications per year. And, and before the pandemic, of course, uh, we were receiving all the books to our respective offices and we're making our decisions. Now it's, it's on computer. So in, it is much more efficient. Uh, quicker, and that that uh, type of working will will remain even after the pandemic is is over. I'd like to ask you uh, the uh, the CBA task force report on justice issues arising from COVID nineteen comes out in uh, February seventeenth, and I know you have a role in that to play. Uh, what uh, what do you think are uh, some of the most urgent issues that need to be addressed for us to come to grips with? Perhaps we could call them some of the shortcomings that we've seen in the justice system uh, that that have been highlighted by COVID. Yeah, I, I, I talked about about it a little bit earlier, but I think the, the biggest challenge is, is is to make sure that um, 
there are no more backlogs in the, in the trial courts. The real challenge is there, and more more specifically for the um, for the uh, jury trials in criminal matters, because by definition, to have twelve people in the same room to conduct a trial was was quite a challenge. In the province of Ontario, all the jury trials were postponed. I know for a fact that in Quebec. Uh, jury trials are going on, but it's, it's much more complicated. So this this aspect of of the of the uh, of the ju- justice system is 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 problematic, and we'll have to address that as soon as possible. The other thing is, we discovered that you know technology uh, could be very helpful, but in some instances, in some areas of the country. People don't have internet, don't cannot use that technology. So uh, we have to make sure that this uh, this technology be accessible to everybody in Canada. So that will be another challenge uh, when we emerge from from this pandemic. Um, so that 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 would be for me the two uh, major concern. I have one question about uh, you know, and the legal community has actually picked up on this, uh, and I've. You know, certainly had a few people uh, talk to me about it, which is that uh, a lot of people have noted that we have seen from the Supreme Court a lot of decisions from the bench, uh, uh, not necessarily in cases that were appealed as of right. I'm wondering, is there a reason for this? Uh, Does this have anything to do with uh, managing things through the pandemic? Um, Perhaps perhaps you could uh, enlighten us. Well, first of all, I'd like to mention that, of course, I cannot comment on, on specific cases uh, with respect to the way uh, deliberations were conducted because they are privileged. Right. But I, I, I can comment uh, as follows. Uh, very often, judgment will be released from the bench in as-of-right cases. And as you know, as-of-right cases are criminal cases where there's a dissent uh, from uh, one judge at the Court of Appeal. Uh, and we, uh, there are many reasons why judgment can be released from the bench or should be released from the bench. First of all, for the last couple of years, we saw an increase in as of right appeal, uh, coming from different court of appeals in Canada. Second, um, we will give the attention and the resources necessary for each case, but we have to conclude that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not all the cases that deserve the same, uh, the same attention, the same level of of, uh, of review. Uh, when there is no um, question of law of national importance, when there's no controversy on points of law, when it's a, it's a, it's a simple question of um, error from one from reviewable reviewable error from one judge or two judges. Uh, that will militate for a judgment very often from the bench. In other words, it's more a correctness uh, analysis than than the review of a specific point of law for the future. So, uh, you know, access to justice is very important. Very often, we need to release a judgment from the bench because uh, of the nature of the question of law. Uh, many judges across the country are waiting to get the answer from the Supreme Court. And in those situations, we have to make sure that judgment is released as soon as possible. Very often, we will release the uh, the decision, but reasons to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
um, and uh, in other matters, um, uh, to uh, to take that, to take the case under advisement and right reason would bring more confusion and delays. So the delays are very important. But rest assured that in so far as 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 we are concerned at the court, we will give all the attention needed for every case. At Lawyers Financial, your satisfaction is our success. It's not that money doesn't matter. Financial, it's right there in our name. But we're not for profit. And that gives us the freedom to give you break-even pricing on insurance and investment solutions. And exclusive rates on home, auto, life and disability insurance, just to name a few. At Lawyers Financial, we focus on you. So you can focus on your family, your firm and your future. And that sounds like success by any measure. I'd like to uh, switch topics a little bit but and discuss uh, the issue of systemic and institutional racism. And I bring it up because it was another bit major issue that, that's been building over the years. But that seems to have hit a bit of an inflection point in 2020 with the global protests shining a light on racial injustice. And I know it's obviously something that is for our elected lawmakers to to address and to to tackle uh, or or not to tackle. But uh, some commentators have noted uh, that over the last few years, the Supreme Court of Canada has increasingly shown a willingness to focus on racialized perspectives when deciding cases. I'm wondering, from your vantage point, is that an accurate assessment? And have you seen uh, the the court evolve in that direction in any way? Well, that that's a very important issue. Um, and, you know, I, I've said many times before that judges don't live in, uh, in ivory towers. So we are part of the society and we could not do our jobs well if we were not uh, sensitive to what was happening in the world around us. So as judges, I think we must, however, remain independent and impartial. And we speak uh, through our decisions, through our judgments. But in, in 2020, you saw uh, people around the world uh, that raise their voices against uh, racial discrimination and, 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 and racial violence um, and uh, confronting injustice wherever it shows itself is a good and necessary thing to do. So in Canada, we have Section 15 of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms that guarantees everyone equal protection and equal benefit. Uh, under the law, without uh, any discrimination and in discrimination based on, on race, include, including discrimination based on race. And I, I, the Supreme Court has noted, like many others, that that guarantee has not always been fulfilled. So, for instance, in 2019, uh, there's a decision by name of, of Lee. Uh, and in that decision, the court uh, referred to and cited uh, abundant research showing the, uh, the the pernicious effect of racial profiling. And the court noted that uh, racialized communities have disproportionate levels of contact with police and generally with the justice system. So they are more, more likely to have their rights violated or, or to be injured or to be killed in, in interactions with police. So those, those are hard facts and truths. And we also know that uh, in the indigenous communities have long suffered 
from stereotypes, uh, bias, discrimination, and it again that was well documented uh, by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So the Supreme Court took note of this in the case of, for instance, recently the case of Barton, uh, where the use of uh, dehumanizing uh, stereotypes about indigenous women meant that the accused is is presently uh, having a second trial. In the case of Ewart, which I wrote for the court, the court uh, described how systemic discrimination against indigenous people, indigenous inmates, has led to uh, worse outcomes for these offenders who are also less likely to be released early. So in, in all those cases, uh, the Supreme Court uh, released uh, very strong decisions and we could see clearly how racial biases and discrimination uh, deliver injustice. So I think that when we see it, when we can uh, deal with it throughout our judgments, the Supreme Court will, will decide. But it's where the Supreme Court will decide. Uh, presumably, I, I would think that the courts cannot achieve this alone. Of course not. And, you know, the court will decide when the case is brought before it. Uh, many stakeholders of society are involved in, in this, for this problem. Uh, of course, the elected officials are the first one to deal with the matters through legislation, if they can. And if only when the court are seized with specific cases that they will intervene. It's not, it's not for us to, uh, to legislate. It's not for us to act as the elected officials. So it's, it has been an interesting year, and I think it's been an interesting year. It's maybe uh, it may be more of a footnote in the end uh, in in your experience. Uh, but uh, recent events have thrust you into the role of acting governor general. The appointment is temporary, obviously. I'm wondering if you could explain to our listeners how it came to be historically uh, that the position of chief justice is also the deputy governor general. I don't think everybody gets to enjoy <laughs> enjoy the privilege, but uh, tell us how it came about. Uh, you're absolutely right. And there are many people who don't, don't understand where it comes from and why is it that the chief justice of Canada should act uh, in the same position as the governor general. But... I am, officially, I am the administrator of the government of Canada, and I'm not the acting governor general. So I was sworn as an administrator uh, on January 23rd of this year. It was in a very brief and private ceremony presided by the clerk of the Privy Council, and it was done here at the Supreme Court. Now, according to what we call the letters patent constituting the office of the governor general, those letter patents were issued in 1947. And according to this document, uh, the Chief Justice of Canada would assume the powers and authorities of the Governor General as Administrator of Canada when the office is vacant. So uh, it's not when uh, the Governor General cannot act for illness or, or because of uh, in, uh, unavailability. But because the office is vacant, that's what's happening right now. The office is vacant, and that's why, according to the letters, the chief justice become uh, the administrator. So I will. The purpose of of having the chief justice acting as administrator is to assume the continuity of the constitution, so that there's some kind of stability in the government, 
and nothing would fall between two chairs. And so that's why when I'm, I'm, I'm acting as administrator, I will, I will sign uh, order in council, uh, some documents, um, and, uh, but I always wearing my hat of administrator, which has nothing to do with my task as Chief Justice of Canada. So people has, have to understand that. Thank you for thank you for the explanation. I think that's uh, that's quite helpful. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, before we conclude the the interview uh, uh, a couple more questions. Uh, the uh, The Canadian legal community lost one of its most respected constitutional litigators uh, last year, Joseph Arve, uh, and you noted is his passing um, uh, before one of your hearings, I believe, recent hearings, and uh, and you also noted his outstanding legacy. You mentioned that his advocacy skills were second to none, and I'm just wondering that for, for the benefit of a new generation of lawyers and up-and-coming litigators, can you tell us what made him such a great litigator, in your view? Yeah, well, I, I you know, when when he passed away, of course, I I, I was very sad because he won one one of the best, and uh, you know, he came before the Supreme Court many times. Uh, and I joined the court in 2012, and I had the occasion to hear his arguments very often. And, um, I, you know, I was a litigation lawyer myself for 25 years. I was in court almost every week. And so I, I knew a little bit about how to, how to argue a case and how to act as, as a litigation lawyer. And he had, he had these qualities, you know. He was always respectful, whatever circumstances, always re respectful of the court, of his colleagues. And, uh, and he was very convincing. And to be convincing as a litigation lawyer, you have to be convinced. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he adopted his client's um, case uh, with integrity. But he was very, um, very convincing and... and uh, and that's why he, he was he was always uh, prepared, well prepared. He could argue the case without referring his notes to his notes, and that's the sign of a good litigation lawyer. You have to control your case. You have to know your case. And of course, at the level of the Supreme Court of Canada, if you don't if you don't understand or if you don't know your case, you will never know your case, because usually you've been uh, at the trial division, at the appeal division, and and then at the Supreme Court. So he was. He was, uh, he was respectful. He was, uh, well trained. Um, he was well prepared. And, uh, that's why I think he was one of the best. Since we're uh, speaking about legacies, I'm wondering if you could spare a thought, uh, for your colleague, uh, Justice, uh, Rosalie Obella, who will be retiring this year. Uh, what, what do you think her legacy will be, uh, you know, for the legal profession, but also, uh, for, for the court? That, that that's interesting because that, that's probably something that you will decide eventually. <laughs> uh, because you know, uh, Rosie and I—it's it's funny because people don't know about that, but we started on the same the same month. I think she was appointed in two thousand four at the Supreme Court. I was appointed in two thousand four, the same month uh, at Superior Court in Quebec, uh, of Quebec, and. Um, and, uh, you know, she's been a Supreme Court justice for 16 years. She'll be uh, retiring, uh, this, uh, this summer. And, uh, I think that you could describe 
uh, Rosabella as a passionate jurist. That's the word I would use because, uh, again, we're you know we're talking about uh, being convincing and uh, convinced. Uh, she she's she's convincing and convinced, <laughs> and uh, and she's but she's always passionate about about the way she uh, would approach cases, the way she would approach the reasons that she would write. So I think that uh, that's a quality that uh, will be recognized in the future. I have one last question, uh, final question that I want to ask you, and it's a bit of a surprise question. Uh, everyone uh, seems to have had their uh, their streaming or their reading recommendations uh, for waiting out the pandemic. Uh, I imagine that you are a very busy man and that your colleagues are too, but uh, you must have set aside some time for distractions. And if so, is there anything that stood out that you would like to rec- recommend to our listeners? Well, <laughs> you're right. We have to uh, we have to discover new ways uh, during a pandemic. But you know, for me, it was a good opportunity to discover technology. Believe it or not, and uh, I've never had so many FaceTimes in my life uh, with my grandchildren. Uh, I uh, you know I have three grandchildren, and unfortunately, I could not I could not see them in person, but I could see them through the technology. And for me, it was a it was a kind of discovery because I was not using it as, as much as I, I should, maybe. And uh, so I, I became quite an expert in, in, uh, in uh, talking to my grandchildren through the, uh, what for me is a new technology. Well, on that note, uh, we must unfortunately bring the interview to a close. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, thank you so much, Chief Justice Richard Wagner, for, for taking the time to speak with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you, sir. I've been talking with the Right Honourable Richard Wagner, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada. You can hear this podcast and others on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Subscribe to receive notifications for new episodes, and to hear us in French, listen to our Juriste Branché podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues, and if you have any comments, feedbacks, and suggestions, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at CBA NetMag and on Facebook. And check out our coverage of legal affairs at nationalmagazine.ca. And of course, my big thanks to our terrific podcast editor, Anne-Catherine Desulmets, and thank you all for listening to this month's episode of After the Pandemic. We'll catch you next month.